going, Matt? I'm doing well. How are you? Good. This is an episode of the Professors. That is our name, and we are we are sticking to it, we're right? At least for the time this. being. We're, we're, we're pop committed, we're, as we're, they say. We're the Professors. If you think that's a ridiculous name, we mean it with irony. Um, <laughs> if you right. like it, we mean it with sincerity. That's right. Okay. Um, we're just two professors who like talking about sports. Exactly. Um, sports, history, politics... All that good stuff. All that good stuff. I'm Jonathan Weiler. I'm in Global Studies at UNC. And I'm Matt Andrews. I'm in uh, History at UNC Chapel Hill. Yeah. And just very quickly, we, we, we're going to spend most of today talking about Colin Kaepernick, the national anthem, and the furor that his refusal to stand for the anthem has caused. But Matt and I have been talking about the intersection of sports and politics for a good couple of years now. I just wanted to see what it would be like to do this on air. Yeah, and I think this is indicative of the type of stuff that we want to talk about. I mean, this is the perfect example of sports and, and uh, yes. the, uh, the collision of sports and politics. So yeah. there um, yeah. we go. So let's, um, let's start by setting the scene. I think most people know the story, but let's start by setting the scene. Uh, earlier in the preseason, Colin Kaepernick, quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers, sat down during the national anthem of a preseason game. Right. And no one noticed. Right. And then two weeks later... Why would you notice? Why would you notice? Yeah. He was just sitting on the bench, minding his own business. And then two weeks later, he did the same thing at another preseason game. And this time, a reporter for the NFL Network asked him, why did you sit for the national anthem? And he clearly had an explanation. Yes. He had thought about this. He had thought about it, right. And to, to sum it all up, he's clearly linking his protest to the national anthem with the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, I believe the quote was, you know, how can I honor this country and this this anthem, which presents the country in its best light, when, uh, what, what do you say, bodies, there are bodies in there the street? There are bodies in the street. Right. People are, he used this, this sentence, which has been attracting a lot of attention. People are getting away with murder. That's right. They're being put on unpaid administrative leave while people are being killed. Right. And look, we can have this very specific conversation. We can also just open this up, have a more general conversation. Are there problems in this country? Are there issues that athletes should be speaking out about? I mean, he obviously thinks the answer is yes. Yeah, we have problems in this country. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. You and I are not going to argue about whether there is a serious problem with racism in this country. No, we are not. Or whether there's a serious problem with racism in policing in this country. That, 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 that's not something we're going to argue about. I'm not going to argue against that. Right. Yeah, I've seen right. numerous studies right. that suggest that there are issues. Yes. yes. Right. So what we're more interested in is talking about what Kaepernick did, right. the reaction to it from the sporting world, it has generated a tremendous amount of attention. You watch ESPN now and scrolling on the bottom are just reaction after reaction after reaction to what Kaepernick has has done. I mean, this has obviously captivated a lot, a lot of people. It's infuriated a lot of people. Yes. And it's yes. energized some, some yes. people. I, I was in the gym a week ago, one evening, and, you know, there's the bank of TVs. Sure. And there was... What do you do at the gym, by the way? I do... I do the... I tend to do the elliptical. You're an elliptical guy, I are do, you? All right. I, I do some weights. I won't make... I won't make Matt, Matt, Matt has a smirk. He clearly <laughs> holds me in contempt for... <laughs> I have a knee issue, which is why I do the elliptical. Sure you do. Okay. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So there's, there's Fox TV, there's ESPN, there's CNN, and there's MSNBC. This is like 8.30 on, let's say, a Tuesday night. Right. And what was funny was, of the four 
cable channels that I could see, three were talking about Kaepernick. The mm-hmm. only one that wasn't was ESPN. Is ESPN, they're showing tennis, I It was a baseball game. Oh, actually. all right. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's U.S. Open week, so I thought it was tennis. Right, right. So that was a, that was a notable um, visual. Okay, so this isn't yeah. just a sports story, right? And, it, right. and it's not just right. a sports story. This right. is a national story that transcends sports. Right. Although it is important that he is an athlete. That's a big part of the story. Yes, no question. He has a platform that right. most other people don't have, and that certainly has allowed him... To, and I think one of the things that's been interesting about this story is that he made his initial comments clearly about police brutality. He got a lot of pushback. The first wave of pushback, and this has continued, but the first wave of pushback was about you are disrespecting the flag right. and you are disrespecting the men and women of the armed forces who give their lives every day to defend the very freedoms that you, in this narrative, are sort of spitting in the face of. And I, let me just say that what I think has been interesting about the back and forth over the last couple of weeks is that Kaepernick has continued to clarify, and I think pretty thoughtfully, where he's coming from. So when he got that first pushback about veterans and the flag, he said, I'm not trying to disrespect veterans. I have a lot of respect for veterans. He made that I'm, very clear. Made that very clear. I I'm, also think, look, everyone's entitled to their opinion. Yes. But since when did the flag become something owned by the military? Since when did the national anthem become all about the Army, Navy, Air Force, and Marines? I thought it was a lot bigger than that. Yes. So I, I really reject that argument. Well, and in fact, one of the interesting developments in the last two weeks has been this Veterans for Kaepernick group, right. which has emerged on Twitter and elsewhere and has said very clearly, well, actually, no, we are fighting overseas precisely so that right. people like Colin Kaepernick yeah. can make the stand that they want to make. And that is a legitimate reaction to the freedoms that we are preserving. And And this is not what Kaepernick was talking about, but if he wants to stand up or if someone wants to stand up, sit down, raise a fist, whatever it is, in protest of what the military is doing, or better put, in protest of what the United States government is ordering the military to, to do... I'm willing to listen. Also legitimate. Also legitimate. I mean, you and I talked about this the other day. There has been, and I know we want to get past the national anthem military stuff and talk more about the issues that Kaepernick is speaking to. Sure. And the issues that athletes in the past have spoken up about in a similar vein. But I do want to say one thing about the anthem issue, which is that when you and I were growing up, Matt, the national anthem... It was, of course, always a political act to stand for the national anthem before every sporting event. Right. But all that happened was that the PA announcer said, we're all going to rise and sing the national anthem. In the past 15 years, there's a whole new editorial that accompanies many national anthems, and it goes something like, we want to rise as one for the national anthem and honor America and the men and women of the armed forces who defend us. That's right. That is, we are now talking, we are beyond now a kind of generic patriotic statement. We are now specifically talking about an endorsement of U.S. foreign policy. It is. In the past 15 years. That's right. Stand and honor America and what we are doing in Afghanistan and Iraq. And and Iraq and many other places. And so, so for those who argue that it's not political to stand for the anthem, it's only political to protest the anthem. Right. Even if you could say that were true 20 or 30 years ago, it's an absurd statement to make 
in post 9-11 America. Agreed. Absolutely. And of course, you and I like to talk about uh, where have we seen this before? Where do we have other moments where athletes have protested, uh, used the anthem, used this moment as a focus to make some sort of comment about American foreign policy or American domestic goings on? And I think you can tell the story better than I can, but Tony Smith from Manhattanville College used this anthem moment and the flag to make an explicit protest of American foreign policy, which is not what Kaepernick is doing. That's right. But it was a protest of a different kind. That's right. So Tony Smith, a Division Three basketball player, a woman, um, from Manhattanville College. It's a school an hour outside of New York City. During the 2002-2003 school year and basketball season, whenever the national anthem was sung before her games, she stood and turned her back on the flag. And she did so in explicit protest of the gathering war and then invasion of Iraq. And boy, did that thing turn on her fast. As she was, in a way, you know, Kaepernick has had plenty of defenders. Yeah. We live in a different era. He's a pro football player. He's got a big social media presence. Right. She was, all she was, was a, using the term in quotes, a lowly Division Three women's basketball player. Right. Nobody had her back, particularly because of the, t- the time and place that speaking out against the war against George W. Bush in 2002 and 2003, many people thought that was heresy. That's right. And I can remember seeing photographs. So when Kaepernick does this, there's a security presence in a stadium. The players are at a remove from the fans. She would go up to the free throw line to shoot a free throw, and standing right under the basket would be veterans, some angry veterans hurling invectives at her, pointing their fingers at her. I mean, it was a real hostile environment that she had to endure. No, and Matt, it's a good point. And these are in small gyms. Small gyms. 500, 1,000 people. You can hear everything. Hear everything. Yeah. Everybody's right on top of the court. That's right. Um, and she, she actually, she recently um, did an interview with Dave Zirin, the sports journalist. Um, and she, she herself is a, is a very impressive thoughtful, intelligent person. Who, I believe he's working for the ACLU now, she's, right? That's right. Yeah, and that's boy, did she, as you said, did she take a lot of crap for that stand. As did, of course, you know, when, when Kaepernick does this, the first thing that came into my mind was Tommy Smith and John Carlos mm-hmm. in 1968. I mean, there's a really nice, neat parallel, I think. Um, just as a lot of the blowback against Kaepernick had to do with this misconception that he was dishonoring veterans, the next layer of blowback that I saw, certainly when I would get on Twitter and social media, you're an athlete, just shut up and play. We, I, I don't care what, what you think. And this is where what Smith and Carlos did in 1968 is very instructive. Um, Tommy Smith and John Carlos, they come in first and third gold and bronze in the men's 200 meters. They get on the, the medal stand. And as both of them later said, what better moment than standing on that medal stand where the eyes, not just of the nation, but the eyes of the world are on me to make a statement. As much as some people wanted to call it the most inappropriate place to make a political statement, they saw it as the perfect place to make a political statement. And Tommy Smith talks about this, and I think he's rather eloquent about this. When he did this protest, he was protesting a culture that pointed to black American athletes and the, some of the successes of black athletes 
as proof that there was not a race problem in the United States. Look at these great athletes winning gold medals, starting to make money in professional football and basketball. Look at Major League Baseball and the way more and more black players are beginning to, to trickle into Major League teams. This was presented, once again, as evidence that all was well, racially speaking, in the United States. And Smith is saying, as athletes, we're tired of being held up as symbols of all that is right when we know that there was so much wrong going on. Well, Matt, you, on this point, you, had, you turned me on to a book recently, David Moranis's Rome 1960, a great book about the 1960 Rome Olympics. And one of the important storylines in that book concerns Rayford Johnson, right. the world-class decathlete. And I'll say, where did Rayford Johnson go to school? <laughs> UCLA. This is where I went to school. Uh, Matt is an alum of UCLA. I should identify myself. I'm, I'm a Michigan alum, so okay. you know we, we have that important identity. So Rayford Johnson was the first black athlete ever honored by being the leading... The, the flag Olympic bearer. The flag bearer, yeah. leading the team into the Olympic Stadium at the start of the, uh, of the Olympic Games. And the purpose of that was to make a show for the world that in spite of Soviet propaganda about our race problems, et cetera, et cetera, here we were, the society built on equality and equal opportunity, and Rayford Johnson was a perfect yeah. illustration of that. And this is something not just in the 1960 Olympics, this is something, there is a concerted effort, there is a plan in the United States State Department to send black athletes all throughout the world to spread the message that we do not have a race problem in this country. Althea Gibson, the tennis player, goes to Asia. Jesse Owens, the track star of 1936, is sent to India where he puts on track clinics and he promotes the United States. The Harlem Globetrotters were sent to Europe. The University of San Francisco dons the basketball team with Bill Russell, a, a, a very racially integrated team. They were sent to Latin America. Black and white getting along on the, on the court. This is evidence that in the United States, once again, we do not have a race problem. It's in that context that Smith and Carlos are speaking up. Um, and I think there's something to that context that helps explain why Kaepernick is, well, he's using his platform. Yes. Um, when else is, are people going to listen to Colin Kaepernick unless it's Colin Kaepernick, the football player? Well, and, and to that point too, Matt, and remind me, it was the Olympic Human Rights Committee? or uh, the, the Olympic Project for Human Rights. The Olympic Project yeah. for Human Rights was, an, was a movement that was gathering force in the late 1960s. That's right. And I know there was this debate about whether black athletes should boycott the Olympics. That's right. That was the first idea. Um, right. Let's not. The the idea is first proposed by Mal Washington, who was um, a, a black uh, track and field athlete, and then later was involved in politics. Thought about boycotting the nineteen sixty four games in in Tokyo. There was very little support. Nineteen sixty eight. It's almost a different era. Sixty eight yeah, to yeah, sixty four. Right. So right. much changes in this right. country, and that's the original idea. Let's boycott. Um, the most famous boycotter is Lou Alcindor, the great basketball player at UCLA. When he's on the fence about it, and then when Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. is assassinated, he makes up his mind. He, he cannot go represent a country um, that, as he saw, just murdered Dr. King. But, um, you know, Lou Alcindor, who becomes Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, he could always go to the NBA. He right. had another step. Right. A lot of these track and field guys, the Olympics, that's the peak. That's the pinnacle. So most of them didn't want to want to do it. Well, but but beyond that, though, my understanding is that there was also this debate, though, about whether boycotting presents the best opportunity to make your voice heard. That's right. Or whether 
in fact, going to the games, using the platform of a worldwide television audience and so forth and so on, is the place in which to make a stand. And, and, we're, and Smith, let me just say, yeah. Smith and Carlos, a half a century later, we are still talking about that moment. That image. Everybody knows that image That's of right. the two raised black gloves. That's right. And if you ask the normal person on the street, where was Lou Alcindor during the 1968 Olympics? No one could answer. Nobody that knows. Yeah, that's so, that's right. It, interestingly, Jonathan, there were different strategy. I know we're getting away from Kaepernick. That's we, fine. We have a tendency to do this. <laughs> yeah. To get off subject uh, slightly, but there were some other ideas floated at these OPHR meetings. Some people suggested, okay, so the track and field guys are going to line up at the starting line. The gun is going to go off. Then let's drop to the ground and start crawling. Mm -hmm. This would be a dramatic statement that we're hobbled by racism at, at, at home. Some athletes said, no, I want to demonstrate my athletic excellence. And so someone suggests running as fast as you can. This would have been hard to pull off. But running as fast as you can and right before you get to the finish line, stop. Uh, a symbolic statement that we have yet to cross the finish line. Well, let me just say, this yeah. is sort of what Usain Bolt does when he runs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He slows down just to, <laughs> so other guys can be yeah, in the picture. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But he crosses the finish line. So. Yeah, and then no one could come up with an, an agreement, and ultimately uh -huh. it was left up to the individual athlete. Yeah. And Smith and Carlos, boy, they came up with an indelible moment. Yes, they did. So one issue that you and I have also talked about before um, is just this sort of the arc of athlete protest over time. Mm -hmm. So the 1960s, of course, was a peak for athletic protest. We haven't even mentioned yet the most famous of all the athlete dissidents that, of course, is Muhammad, Muhammad Ali. Muhammad Ali, sure. We'll, we'll come back and talk about him. But so in the, in the late 1960s, there's a surge of activism on college campuses in all sorts of contexts. And it really ebbs dramatically in the 70s, the 80s, into the 90s. And the last five years or so, we are seeing something of an uptick again, which, yeah. are, which is kind of interesting. One thing that I wonder about is whether athletes today... So we have the Michael Jordan era. Um, yeah. Right, the, the, the Michael Jordan era. I guess that's what, what we call it, huh? That, that's what we'll call it. Yeah. Okay. Um, political apathy or an, political, or an unwillingness to take a stand. Yeah. Maybe for financial reasons. Right. The idea is that, so, so that, that's, a, that's an era in which athletes are starting to make tremendous amounts of money. And they also seem very protective of their market power yeah. and their market appeal. And so one thing I wonder about is whether we've reached a point now where athletes are making so much money that in a way they no longer feel as constrained. You know, as Kaepernick said, yeah. look, I might lose endorsements, right. but I'm willing to do this anyway. And, and you know, I, I have tremendous respect for the stance he's taken. He's a backup quarterback making $12 million this right. year. So he should be set for life. He should be set for right, life. Right, right. And, and so I wonder if just their material circumstances in an interesting way, LeBron James, Carmelo Anthony, Dwayne Wade, I mean, these are high-profile basketball players. They are who, economically secure. They are economically yeah. secure for generations. And a guy like LeBron James is... Well, he can do no wrong in, in, in certain places, right? LeBron James has a power. Um, he is a, a member. Of, he, he's, he's on sports Mount, Mount Rushmore yes, right, right yes, now. So LeBron yes. James can certainly say a lot of things. But LeBron James isn't doing what Colin Kaepernick no, is, is, not. is doing. You know, what would the reaction be 
if James or Wade or Anthony, and I don't mean down at the the Olympics, that adds another layer yeah. to it. But just yeah. when the NBA season starts, if they don't rise for the for the anthem, I mean, will the will the outrage be directed toward LeBron as it is being directed toward Kaepernick? Well, well and on this point too, Matt, I wonder also whether you know certain players, certain athletes, they they sort of. You know, they, 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 they till the field, mm-hmm. right? And they, they create, uh, 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 clearly I'm not a farmer, but they make the soil more fertile for future. Okay. You know, and so the fact that LeBron and Chris Paul and Carmelo Anthony and Dwayne Wade get up at the start of the ESPYs six weeks ago. Yeah. Not to say something as trenchant or critical right. as Kaepernick, but the fact that they were willing to do that right. at the start of the ESPYs and say, we have a real problem in our streets, we need to do something about yeah. that, maybe that emboldens Kaepernick. Sure, and they're identifying with Trayvon Martin when he's murdered yes. a couple yes. of years ago. Uh, they're wearing the I Can't Breathe t-shirts that were part yes. of the Black Lives Matter movement. So possibly, right? Yes. Um, setting the stage for someone else to... you know. Uh, LeBron James and others, I, I, I'm very interested in what they have to say. I think people are, are interested in what, what they have to say. Um, LeBron James has, he's not necessarily been critical, but he's raising issues. There's something about criticizing a war or not standing up during an anthem or doing something during the national anthem that just sets people off. It's take, the it's the third rail, right? Take, taking on the flag yeah. is the most provocative thing it seems you can do. Boy, it sure seems like it. Yeah. Um, and so it would be interesting to see what would happen if someone of that stature... Because, um, look, Colin Kaepernick is, you and I, I think, agree on this. This is not a good career move for Colin no. Kaepernick. No, it is not. He's going to lose endorsements. That's all anyone is talking to him about. No. He was already struggling to make the, the 49ers. Let's give him credit, though, for being at a, at, at a point in his career where, you know, he could keep his mouth shut. He could stand for the anthem. He'll be playing in the NFL for the next six, seven, eight years and make a lot of money. You know, he's putting a lot of money on the line by, yes, by saying this type of thing. That's right. So a couple of other issues related to this, Matt, I wanted to bring up. One is lots of people, Dave Zirin among them, have raised this issue about how these recent outbursts of activism by athletes have been almost entirely by African Americans. Right. And so there's this interesting question, where are the white athletes? Now, that's right. Obviously, not everybody agrees on these issues, and that's fine. Right. Um, but one presumes at least some of these white athletes agree or at least have similar concerns as their black teammates. And so, or have concerns as American citizens. Have concerns as American citizens. Yeah. Don't like what they're seeing on their own televisions. That's sets, right. That's right. Um, have lots of friends right. who are African American who they know how this is touching their families' lives, affecting yeah. their families' lives. So there's been this interesting question, when will white athletes begin to stand up? And one quite well-known white athlete stood up, or sat down, I should say. Just a couple days ago. Two nights ago, yeah. right? Megan Rapino, the soccer, the, the women's national soccer player, um, who also happens to be gay. That's right, and, and uh, this is part of why she did what she did. She made that very clear, yes. right? Feels as if she lives in a country in which there is she experiences discrimination. Yes. I think as she pointed out, in 33 out of 50 states, she um, there are uh, 
discriminatory laws against gays and lesbians. Right. And so she kind of, she's not comparing her discrimination to Kaepernick's, not playing that game at all. No, no, no. But understands where Kaepernick is coming from. And at the very least, just thought he needed a, needed a little backup. Yeah, yeah. So, so I think that was, that's an interesting person to be the first high-profile white athlete to stand in solidarity with Kaepernick. Yeah, it wasn't your your Michigan guy, Tom Brady, it was or not. yeah, or you know <laughs> any number of any athletes number. fill in the blank. Right, I don't mean to pick on the Golden Boy. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, well, so what's interesting too, I think, is what happened just last night. She was playing in Washington D.C. You and I briefly talked about this before we started talking here, um, and they pulled a fast one on her. Um, the The ownership, the the managers of the Washington Football Club, didn't want her to have the opportunity for this moment of protest. So while the teams were still in the locker room, you always do the national anthem when the players are on the field. Always, yes. always, always. They played the national anthem before she and the other players got out there. And then they issued this sort of bizarre and contradictory explanation about why, saying, well, of course she has the right to do this and everyone has the right to their opinion, but I guess the owner of this particular soccer team is a veteran and he didn't want anyone disrespecting his flag on his field during his game. Um, you know, maybe in some ways this is the... Look, this isn't the issue, but maybe the solution to this whole question is just getting rid of the national anthem before sporting events. I mean, why are we doing, you know, you and I both teach courses. Yeah. We don't stand with our students for the national anthem before our courses. Nor or, do you before you go see a movie no, or watch or you, a play absolutely. or go to a concert. So th th or, this brings up these yeah. really intense and historical ties between sports and militarism in this country, which yeah. is a, probably a topic for another day. Yeah, but but um, let me, one more thing just about the the Washington franchise's yeah. decision not to, to play the anthem before she got out of the locker room. How weak... I mean, are you yeah. really, do you really have such a fragile notion of your great country and your flag and everything it stands for? And when I say you, I'm an American too. I'm not trying to, right. to you know, divorce myself from that. But is your sense of your country so fragile that one person sitting down during the anthem is too much for you to it's bear? Too, yeah, I'm that's really right. struck by... And in the reaction to Kaepernick, too, I just have to say, Matt, I'm just struck by people are entitled to criticize, of course, it's not a question. I am just struck by how fragile and weak people's sense of their own patriotism is, that they think it's under threat somehow. Yeah, you're ruining my country for me yeah. by sitting down. By sitting, by, yeah. by sitting down during the national anthem... When 75,000 other people in the stadium are standing up. Are all standing up. Right, I know. So what are we going to do now? We'll put duct tape over their, their yeah. mouths. Or yeah. we'll, we'll tie them to a stake so they can't sit down. Or we'll take Smith and Carlos and tie their hands behind their back. I mean, just let people do their thing. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and so I want to I come back to Ali for a moment. Sure. Um, and I want to make the point that uh, a few years ago, I went to the Tenement Museum in New York City. Fantastic museum. You can take tours. You go to an apartment that a German-Jewish family lived in in the 1870s or an Italian Catholic family in the 1920s. And you learn about the immigrant history of the United States and mm. the Lower East Side in New York City and 
It's all very interesting. This and is your history, too, a little bit, isn't it? I mean, these, these, these are my people. These are your people, <laughs> yes. all right. Yes, my, my ancestors came to the United States in the late 19th and early 20th century okay. from Eastern Europe. And um, so I went with my daughter. Uh, this was about 10 years ago. And we had this fantastic tour guide, an Hispanic guy, mm-hmm. who uh, made this comment that, that has always stuck with me, which is that, we love our immigrant past, but we dislike or even hate our immigrant present and future. Sure. And I very much feel that way yeah. about protests. Yeah. Right? We're so proud that we are a country that people fought for their freedoms and they got into the streets and they were allowed, they were able to do that. Boston and Tea Party. Boston Tea yeah. Party, civil rights movement. Yeah. And so forth and so on. We love all that. Sure. Except when it's happening right now. That's right. And so Ali is the perfect character to, to point out. Ali just passed away this past summer. And it was celebratory eulogy after celebration. And I'm not just talking about at, at the funeral. But everywhere, you, whenever you picked up a newspaper, people were talking about what a wonderful man Ali was. And a man of principle and a man of character. A great American. A great American. Yes. That's right. But go back to the mid-1960s. Well, first of all, when he decided to announce that he was a member of the Nation of Islam, but that wasn't even the main event. I mean, that freaked a lot of people out. But then when he refused induction into the armed services, he refused to take that step forward. He was public enemy number one. Yes. And, and I mean, almost unanimously condemned. There were some who found it energizing, but almost unanimously condemned among certainly white Americans Black Americans, too. They didn't like this guy mm-hmm. taking this stand, this unpatriotic stand. This country... Jackie that, Robinson was very critical. Jackie Robinson, very critical. Yes. He, he very pointedly said, I believe Cassius Clay should serve in the military, you know, not refusing to call him by his chosen name, Ali. Um, very, very uh, critical. That here is this, this black man who has so much, and yet he is unwilling to give back to the country that they believe has, has I mean, given him this. He was the most hated person in the United States. And it is, in, in, in that light, Matt, it has been especially annoying to see a not insignificant number of people throw Ali in Kaepernick's face to say, you should be more like Ali. <laughs> Do you huh. not understand that Ali was convicted of a felony offense, draft evasion. Wait a minute, I'm, I'm confused. If people have been telling Kaepernick he should people, be more yes, like Ali? There, there Explain been, this to me. There have, been, there have been people on social media. Mm-hmm. Um, I know I'm using weasel words because I'm not giving specific names right okay, now. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> there have been people on social media, especially in the first days after, uh-huh. who said, you should learn how to show the proper sort of character and fortitude and respect that athletes who take public stances show and be more like Ali. Well, these course, are people who are completely ignorant of they history. One hundred percent. They're thinking yeah. of the Ali of his later years. That's right. When he could barely speak. That's anymore. the way we yes. we like our that's, our athletes. That, we like them trembling and mute, right? And, exactly. and, and lighting patriotic torches. It seems especially our black athletes. Yeah. Right. right? Exactly. So, Keep your government hands off of my welfare. <laughs> off you know, my yeah. Medicare. Yeah. Off my Medicare. That's that's <laughs> exactly. what it is. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So, Jonathan, let's talk a little bit about the NFL's reaction to all, all of this. Yeah, so two things, Matt. Uh, so there was the 49ers team reaction, 
Right. Which was interesting, I thought. It's right as soon as the story blew up, that was two Fridays ago, I think. Uh, and Kaepernick made his comments to the NFL Network. The 49ers came out with a, sta- a statement immediately afterwards in which they said, we support the flag. We feel like this is an important ritual right. before games. We will continue to respect the flag and everything it represents. But we also think the player has a right to sit down if he wants to. Yeah, and I think we might see this as progress if we compare this to what. Uh, Chris Jackson, um, the LSU basketball player, went to the NBA, changed his name to Mahmoud Abdul Rauf when he was making a protest against the country during the national anthem. The Denver Nuggets and the NBA came down hard on him. Yes, they did. They suspended him. So this is progress, I think. Um, 49er fans are all these short films on Instagram of people burning their Kaepernick jerseys which I guess people love to this, do. This is liberal, liberal San Francisco. This is the about. yeah liberal San Francisco. I think this is just a lot of self. You know, people just just want to be on camera yeah. doing something. Yeah. Very interesting that sales of Kaepernick's jerseys have gone through the roof. Gone through the roof. All of a sudden, I am not aware an NFL jersey kind of guy. Um, I feel like but men you're, you're, should not wear another man's jersey. That's, you're tempted. I'm tempted. Yeah. If I'm going to wear a jersey, it's going to be a Kaepernick jersey. Well, you can always you know the workaround is you can buy one for your daughter. Okay, so and you, make her wear it? Exactly. <laughs> all right, very good. Yeah, I'll let her take get all of the insults yelled that, at her that, as she's walking right. down the street. That's right. Yeah. Um, but so then there's been the NFL's reaction. Uh, Roger Goodell, the NFL commissioner. Yeah, he, he was really courageous here, I thought, Jonathan. <laughs> why, why don't you tell the people what he said? Well, he, he said he came out and said, was the line, the NFL loves patriotism? I think, yeah, we're, we're pro-patriotism we're pro in the patriotism, NFL. We're pro-patriotism, which... Yeah. You know, it's kind of like uh, it, we we expect next that it'll come out strongly opposed to cancer. That's right. That's exactly. the kind of courageous stance we expect from. Me too. I'm anti-cancer as well. But it, what, what I don't think, Matt, though, that he made any comments suggesting that they were going to not let players do this kind of thing in the future. And I assume from a PR point of view, Goodell is being told to just try to, just hope this goes away, right? If you penalize someone for stating their political position, yes. this is just going to become an even bigger story. And you'll make and, it and about something else at that point. You'll make it about something else, yeah. right? Yeah. Right. Then you're infringing on his rights. Yeah. If we and put it and in at least from what I've heard so far from Demora Smith, who's the head of the NFL Players Association, uh, what he has made clear is that players absolutely have a right to do this. Yeah. So that suggests that he would he might be litigiously minded if the NFL tried to crack down on these kinds of expressions of protest. Sure. Well, do you think this is going to lead to anything in in the sense of this? Ka- Kaepernick takes this stance. He refuses to stand. He wants to raise awareness to this issue. But in a way, all that has happened, and a few other people have pointed this out, we're not talking about the issue. We're talking about whether we like Kaepernick or don't like Kaepernick, think he's doing the right thing or doing the wrong thing. It's all about the art of protest rather than the issues that he's trying to expose. Um, I'm not suggesting that what Kaepernick has done is counterproductive. I don't think that this is his fault. This is just our national reaction to it. But do you think it's possible that a a few other players have have followed his lead in the NFL? I mean, what if 25% of them start doing this? That would be really interesting. You know, 50% of the players. The NFL, 
I think would have to respond in some way, yeah. and the NFL might have to direct. Re- Again, I, I, I shudder at the thought of the NFL leading the way on these progressive social issues, just you know, like they do on domestic violence. God help us all. <laughs> yeah, but but you know, what if the NFL were to direct resources or to insist? I, I, I'm not even exactly sure what they would do. But what if this actually led to some sort of organizational um, emphasis? So this, Matt, raises, I'm not directly answering your question, but it raises what I think is a really interesting issue, which is that the NFL and the NBA are these white-owned, predominantly white fan base, certainly in terms of the people who show up in the arenas and the stadiums, et cetera, uh, sports, these very profitable, lucrative businesses where the players, the stars, are predominantly African-American. Yeah. And I think there's an interesting tension there that has been, maybe when we step back, surprising how much that tension has been kept at bay. I think you're right. For as long as it has. And, yeah. and I wonder how long that will... So I'm thinking right now about Donald Sterling. Okay, right? the, yeah. The, the, yeah. The, the Clippers owner. Oh, man, okay. I forgot all about that right, guy. Right, because <laughs> it was all of two years ago. Yeah, so that's like, right, and he's been gone you know, for like a while. It's like vanished into the ether. But, yeah. So Donald Sterling, of course, owned the Clippers for many years. He was the, uh, he was the picture of incompetence he as was an that. owner. Yes, um, and then, of course, he made these remarks to a girlfriend, which she recorded and sold to TMZ, yeah. of a clearly racist nature. Oh, just awful stuff. And yeah. he was vilified, and he was forced to sell the team. Right. But before he was forced to sell the team, this was right at the start of the playoffs in 2014, there was serious talk led by Chris Paul, who was the star of the Clippers, right. That they might boycott That's right. the first game of the playoffs. That's right. And at that point, Adam Silver, who had just taken over as NBA commissioner, I believe. Yeah, welcome to the job, Mr. Silver. <laughs> exactly. And other owners clearly had a holy crap moment. Like, yeah. We can't afford that. Yeah. And there's no doubt that that pushed forward the pressure on Sterling yeah. to unload the franchise. So that was a moment. And I just wonder whether we might see more moments like that in the future. Yeah, and we talk about this certainly at the pro sports level. Um, But of course, professional athletes are well compensated. And so a lot of people will argue, well, okay, you can boycott, you can say what you want, but look at how much money you're you're getting. You know, this same argument carries over to college sports, certainly. And look at what college football players and college basketball players are, are, are doing and the amount of revenue that they're bringing. I think that's where the dynamic is even starker. I, I agree. Yeah. I agree. And, and, and we have, of course, over the last five or six years, seen more and more, at least noise, litigation, uh, protests by players, that this yeah. is an unfair and unjust system. And I think all of these things are related for any number of reasons one of which is just that these guys are in touch with each other. Yeah. You know, a lot of them are friends. They yeah. pay attention to one another. They, they, they take one another's cues. Yeah, there are a lot of guys speaking up um, and defending Colin Kaepernick and whether they stand or sit or whatever, saying, you know, there are a lot of people who feel these types of things. I don't remember anyone, for example, speaking up for Mahmoud Abu No, I agree. Uh, that was not happening. I mean, yes. I mean, Kaepernick is tapping into something here. It's going to be interesting to see where this where this goes. And hey, just to you know, point to something that's going to happen soon. The 49ers, um, so I'm from San Francisco. I'm a 49er fan. So this is on my my calendar opening day. They open on on a Monday. 
September 11th. Oh, boy. National. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Let's see what happens then, uh, you know? Um, very interesting. Yes. Very yes. interesting. Yes. All right, Matt. Well, this is fun. This is good. Um, You're a real professor. <laughs> as are you. Thank you. And we haven't decided yet whether we mean that as a compliment, but... I mean but, it... When I say it to you, I mean it as a compliment. Uh, I see. Okay. Yeah. Well, all right. Well, I don't like, know how you mean it to Well, me. then likewise. Okay. Very um, good. All right. Well, we will be back with a, another episode of the Bro Festival. Every week. That's the plan, right? Every week. Absolutely. All right. Sounds good. Okay.